hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. According to a recent Mass Mutual survey, 58% of queer people worry about this one thing. Do you? Find out on this episode of Queer Money. We want to thank Mass Mutual for their sponsorship of Queer Money. Mass Mutual is sponsoring and supporting the LGBT community. Please support Mass Mutual. And one way you can support them is by going out to this iTunes podcast and rating it and saying, thank you, Mass Mutual. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. As many of our listeners know, our podcast is currently sponsored by Mass Mutual, and we appreciate their sponsorship. One of the reasons that we why we're excited to work with Mass Mutual is because they do great work for the LGBT community, just just like supporting this podcast. Recently, they did a study called Mass Mutual's LGBTQ Financial Security Survey, where they polled 1,000 working Americans ages 25 to 65 who earned annual incomes between $35,000 and $150,000, including an oversample of 500 respondents who identify as LGBTQ. It's what the interesting, um, what the information they found out was quite interesting, and David and I wanted to talk about that on this podcast, simply because there's some risks in our community and we want to be able to address those. And later on, we'll share seven solutions that our community can implement to help overcome some of these insecurity issues. Right. You know, it, what's really interesting about this study is that Mass Mutual decided to do a study where they basically broke out 50% of the LG, of the population of the study is LGBT, and then 50% of the population identified, doesn't identify as a part of the queer community. And that really gave them some, gives them some keen insights. And it's amazing today to think of all of the companies that have access to massive amounts of data. And very, very few of them are actually trying to understand our community. And the thing that uh, we love about this, partly because it's financial services, but I think one of the things that we love about this is that it shows maybe the under the covers view (laughs) of our community. You know, a lot of us uh, identify as living a fabulous life or like to say that we live a fabulous life. And this may give us a glimpse into what the reality is for many of us. And I personally like this because it helps remind me that, um, that, uh, I may not be as bad off as I think I am when it comes to comparing myself to other people, the people that I'm comparing myself to, um, which is never a good thing to do, but the people I'm comparing myself to m- may not be as good off or as well off as I think that they are. <laughs> yeah, I think our community especially um, does itself a disservice by continually comparing ourselves to the 1% in our own community and the stereotypes of ourselves that we see on TV. Like you said, not all of us are living fabulous, but too many of us are living fabulously broke. Uh, so we look like we're, we're doing great, but our finances don't support that. So that's part of what we want to address with this podcast today. So let's dive into some of the, some of the data. And as you can probably get from our, the tone of the start of this conversation, LGBT people disproportionately feel more financially insecure than the general population um, and have more stress and struggles because of this financial insecurity. So the first, uh, we want to highlight a couple of the data points, but the first one that that, that stood out to me was that 40% of queer middle income earners 
feel less than financially secure, and struggle with financial emergencies. That is huge. That's Imagine trying to, trying to sleep at night. And the study continues on, says that 58% of queer individuals report worrying about their finances at least once a week, relative to 53% of the general population. Now, that's not a big disparity, but I can't... I know how we, you and I felt when we were in $51,000 worth of credit card debt. And it pains me to think that 58% of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters are having that stress on a weekly basis and don't know what to do about it. Exactly. And, and I, I want to make this point very clear to you that John and I are not trying to um, to say that we're better or that we are um, that we are uh, uh, scolding or um, that we're pointing the finger at anyone. What we're trying to say is that we've been through this. When we look at some of these numbers, John and I know exactly what this feels like. And if you're going through this, we can relate. We we can totally empathize with you. We know what is happening, and uh, and the whole purpose of this, as with the Queer Money podcast is to look at the little ways that you can make improvements to kind of shed off some of these worries, these beliefs, these problems so that so that we can live fabulously because fabulously can be a state of mind as well as a state of finance. <laughs> exactly. And I think to your point because we've gone through these and we we can identify with a lot of this data and have been able to overcome them in our personal lives we can share both from our professional experience in financial services as well as our personal experience how our community can put itself in a better position. And that's that's the whole goal of this particular podcast. And we want to thank Mass Mutual for giving us um, such a great study and an opportunity uh, to, to be able to have this conversation. Right. And one of the other interesting things about this study that Mass Mutual did is, as John mentioned in the very beginning, these are middle income earners. These are individuals who earn between 30 and one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. I know to some people, thirty thousand to one hundred and fifty-five to one hundred fifty thousand dollars may seem like a lot of money, but this is the um, this is the middle swath. So uh, we, they, I think they intentionally took out those lower income earners because they knew that the data would automatically reflect a larger number of those individuals be con- being concerned, and. So we're really looking at all of those of us who fall into that that middle income earning group, and the data says that nearly fifty percent of us feel insecure and struggle with financial emergencies, which is surprising. Uh, that those of us who are in that thirty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollar range still are concerned, um, even to the point where it's half of us are concerned. About that, right to that point, I think it's also important to to underscore that they polled individuals. So this is individual income; it's not household income. Right. So the person who falls into the thirty thousand dollar income category might have a partner or a spouse or, or somebody within their household who's supporting them that earns you know million dollars million million dollars a year. <laughs> so you know, it's important to take that into context. And you know, so I think like m- most data, uh, you know, they're directional. Um, but it provides, but it provides an interesting, interesting snapshot of our community. The study also showed that 80% of those polled 
said high debt levels or not having enough money make it hard to manage household income or household money. And we know exactly what that's like. Right. When we have $51,000 worth of credit card debt, well, we just weren't, we weren't managing our household money and that was causing a stress in our lives. Right. And you can probably relate to this as well if you're in debt, that when you're in debt, it's, it's oftentimes very easy to want to just ignore that. I know for me personally, when I used to get the bills in the mail for my credit card, I, I literally ignored it. And then I found <laughs> this great thing called paperless <laughs> statements, yeah. and then I didn't have to ignore the bill coming in the mail. I just ignored my email. And it worked out perfectly until I realized that I was just digging myself into a deeper and deeper and deeper grave. Right. I think we learned, and I think many in our community, uh, if they haven't already learned, will learn that you can only bury your head in the sand for so long. But you know, there's that famous quote that whatever can't go on forever won't. And um, I think we learned that in our personal lives. And hopefully we can get the message out to our community that they don't have to wait until, like we did, hit rock bottom. But they can start addressing the con you, know, you can start addressing those concerns sooner rather than later. Right. So it makes you wonder then if that's the case, if if so many of us are worrying, if so many of us feel like the amount of debt that we have or our low income earning ability, even at $30,000 and higher is not enough for us to have the life that we want or even need, what are some of the effects? What's What is happening to us? What are we doing with the rest of our lives. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because they—that's another—that's a question that Mass Mutual also asked, which is which is great. Uh, their data showed that LGBTQ Americans who express concerns about their personal finances tended to suffer more serious consequences than other Middle Americans. So, what does that mean exactly? How exactly did they suffer? Well, there were a couple of data points that they pulled. Um, they 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 surveyed health and stress levels. They looked at the effects on our social lives with friends and family. They looked at our personal relationships, uh, romantic relationships. And in every category that they polled, we polled worse than the general population. So, for example, um, many of us said that our finances were adversely affecting our mental health and stress levels. 65% of us said that relative to 57% of the general population. Um, right. 45% of us said that our finances were ne negatively impacting our diet and our ability to eat healthy relative to 34% of the population. Right. You know, I was just thinking about that, that number of 65% of us feel like we have mental health and stress level issues because of our finances. So just think when you're, when you're sitting at the table with a group of your friends and there's three other people there with you, or you're standing at the club and you see a group of three guys standing there, um, or <laughs> you're out walking your dog and you see a, another couple, the likelihood is that two out of every three people that you see are stressed about their financial situation. And that's just, it, it's, it's unfortunate. And, and as John and I said, we're not here to, to, to drive towards the negative. We will talk about solutions for this. But if you're, if you're worried and stressed, then don't think that you're alone. There are a lot of other people who are dealing with this in, in your group of friends and in the general population. But at the same time, doesn't that mean that we should try to do something about it? Absolutely. And, and I think that it's important to talk about how these adverse effects compound on each other. You know, it's, it's the month of September. It's Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Um, a study recently came out that showed that people who die by suicide are eight times more likely to be in debt. 
whether that's correlation or causation, we don't know yet, but it seems to be a high propensity. And that suggests that these adverse effects, though we might say blame it on, you know, blame our finances for why we're overweight or why we're acting, feeling stressed or why we can't sleep at night. But eventually it seems like that might compound on itself to lead to dire consequences. Right. And you think of the, the, I hate to use this saying, but the slippery slope, what do we often do when we're, when we're not feeling good? (laughs) Well, I don't know if about you, I, I either grab for a glass of wine or I gla- grab chocolate. <laughs> and But that's just, that's that's it starts down that process. And we think about the propensity in our community for individuals to, to use um, substances, whether that's alcohol, cigarettes, or uh, drugs of some sort, um, or whether they're prescription or non-prescription, to use substances as a salve to try to to make ourselves feel better. Um, we know that we've already know that data shows that there's a higher propensity in our community than the general population to do that. So if you could remove something from making you want to go to that place, then wouldn't you want to? Yeah, and we definitely need to talk about more about this. It was it was just in 2015 when the advocate announced that gay men have an addiction problem. Yeah. Why is that? I mean, there's there's probably numerous reasons for that, um, but I can't help but think that finances are a part of that. Right. Yeah. Um, the final data point that I wanted to highlight was uh, no, I'm sorry, I've got two data points. My apologies. Seventy percent of us attest to being behind in our retirement savings relative to sixty three percent of the population, which is interesting because study after study after study shows that for LGBT people, we have two primary concerns. One, managing debt, and two, preparing for retirement. But it doesn't seem like we're, we're making any traction in improving that. Right. And what is in, in many ways very sad about that is uh, I think for our community especially, um, we have a uh, propensity to feel like we um, become invisible as we age. I think especially with gay men because we are very – um, oftentimes very physically oriented, um, but I, I can't help but think that it affects everyone in our community. As we age, we feel like we're becoming invisible. And if we're not taking care of our finances in the future, it's going to compound on that. Because to be honest, I don't care whether I'm invisible to anybody else. If I've got the means in my life to enjoy and do the things that I want to do, then I can continue ha- having a happy life. But um, if you're feeling invisible and you're also feeling stressed about your money, that can only compound and make it, it, it make it more difficult. Right. And it's interesting that you bring that up. Queer respondents to the survey said they were more likely to agree that, quote, spending money to enjoy myself now is more important than saving for the future. That 36% of us said that relative to 27% of the general population. And so that, that speaks to your point. We're, we're more focused on the here and now and not so much about the future, more so than the general population. Now, I will say that 27% of the general population is a lot, but 36% is a significant difference. Right. And I guess you know we talked about this several times together and, and when we give our presentations publicly. There are a number of reasons why we think this might be. Part of this is we think that this might be sort of a carpe diem effect of the HIV-AIDS crisis of the 80s when many of us, especially gay men, weren't expected to live beyond our 40s or 50s. So there was sort of this 
feeling of, hey, I'm going to live for today because I might not see next year or five years from now. Right. And, and that may have led to kind of an overall general uh, peer pressure within our community for those who didn't have or weren't dealing with HIV or AIDS to want to have the same kind of lifestyle or keep up with their friends who were, were living these life, these great lifestyles of, uh, of just going out and doing all that they could before they thought they might die. Right. I think another, we, and we talk about this quite a bit as well, David and I know this from personal experience, having looked at backward on our personal finances, trying to figure out how we got ourselves into the situation that we did, we realized that when we were finally independent and on our own and earning a decent salary, we were making up for periods of our childhood when we felt inadequate or less than because we were bullied and picked on and treated because we were different. But then likewise to what your point earlier, when we finally were out on our own and we did find our queer community in the gay clubs, of course, um, we felt that we had to compete so that we could we could stay up and be included in that in that population we were afraid that if we didn't have the same clothing or the nice cars or go on the same vacations that we were going to be ostracized from our new community because we we were never really accepted in our, in our, in our younger community right exactly so and that peer pressure I think is a is a very present thing in our community because a lot of times those are the things that we really kind of look to and and we celebrate excuse me celebrate about each other we look at somebody and we say oh look at the great vacation you're taking how fun that's awesome or look at the new house you have it's amazing or all the things that you've done to your house or you know we look at those things and those are the kinds of things that we celebrate and it's very similar to the the feeling that a lot of people get when they're on Facebook. I mean, there's been studies that have, have shown that when you're when you're constantly looking at your friends on Facebook and seeing their quote-unquote Facebook lifestyle, <laughs> that you only see those good things that are happening in their lives, that we oftentimes start to develop a negative conscious about ourselves. We think poorly of ourselves, or we think, I, 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 I'm not able to do that, or I can't. And we start to use these words in our, in our subconscious of, I can't, I'm poor, I'm bad, I, I'm not as good as, and that can't, can't have a positive effect on us. No, I think it's important to stress that, like you said, we, a lot of us have a, that conscious thought, but more than, more, many more of us have the subconscious thought that we don't deserve, we can't have, we're not worthy enough. Uh, those kinds of thoughts. And, and if that's a subconscious belief, that's harder to address because you wouldn't even acknowledge that, that that's a belief that you have. If we asked you, are you worthy enough to earn a million dollars annually? You would say yes, but subconsciously, you don't necessarily feel that. And if there's that, if there's, if they're not aligned, um, you're going to struggle financially. Right. And that uh, leads us to our, our solutions, I think. Right. We said in the beginning of this podcast, we didn't want just this, this to just be a wagging of the finger and a, a, a sort of a crying of the wolves, but we wanted to provide some solutions. And so we have seven solutions for our community, community to start improving its financial situation. Uh, you can't maybe not do all of these, but at least try to start doing some of them. Take little steps at a time. Uh, like we often say, you can't eat an elephant one bite or, or in one bite. You have to eat it little bites at a time. And that's what we, we suggest doing with this. So sort of as a segue from our last data point, our last discussion, 
our community needs to overcome its limiting beliefs. David and I suffered from this for many years, and in fact, we're still working on this to some extent. And um, only until we overcome those limiting beliefs can we really start to implement better behaviors for ourselves. Well, not too long ago, on episode 28 of Queer Money, we hosted Bob Wheeler of The Money Nerve, and he is uh, he does a lot of research and a lot of speaking about how our subconscious thoughts affect our financial outcomes, our financial reality. And he gave, uh, we had a great talk with him. So if you want to start digging a little bit deeper on how to overcome living beliefs, I would definitely recommend uh, starting off with episode 28 of Queer Money, that one which we hosted Bob Wheeler. Right. And, and it makes me think of the quote from Henry Ford of whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And it, if we don't we can verbalize, and like you said earlier, we can verbalize and say, I deserve, or I think I'm worth, or I can, and we can verbalize that. But if we're not thinking it, if we don't truly deep down inside believe, if it's part of our belief system that says that I can't, or I won't, or I, I, I'm not able, then the, our, our actions will not result in anything other than that happening. Right. And I think there, there are two, we've talked about this before, but I'm happy to share this again. There, there are two exercises that you can practice to help tear down those limiting beliefs. The one is doing affirmations. Come up with a, a positive script about your life, the outcome of your life, the things that you want in your life, and repeat those daily. We do about five minutes a day. Another thing that you can do, and we've talked about this a lot, is create vision boards. Use pictures, create a board, use your use your uh, computer screen, use your phone book screen, your Facebook, I'm sorry, your phone screen, and show images of what you want your life to look like. What kind of house do you want? What kind of car do you want? What kind of shape do you want to be in? How do you want to give back to your community? Uh, what kind of job do you want to have? What kind of lifestyle do you want to have? Put all those in a place that you can see that, them regularly so that you can use them as inspiration to work towards those goals. So one of the things I will say about uh, what, what Don just talked about, and this may sound a little bit cheesy when, when we're referencing affirmations, um, we have two bathrooms in our house. And one of the things that I've done is on each of the bathrooms, I've written the beginning of the phrase, I am proud of, and the other one has, I am grateful for. And what that does is it reminds me every single time I go into the bathroom that there is something in my life that I am proud of and that there's something in my life that I'm grateful for. And it try to, tries to put those positive beliefs into my mind, into my subconscious, that this is that I have a lot to be thankful for, that my life is good. And that allows me then to carry that thought process further into what I can do and what I want to be able to do in the future. Right. The idea is sort of become practice these exercises so consciously and so much that it eventually starts to tear down the limiting unconscious beliefs that we have and that they eventually take over. Right. Another one of the solutions here, especially for those who you are who are dealing with debt, is to avoid your credit cards. Yeah. This is the the crux of the problem for John and I when we first were dealing with the financial and mental state we were in is that we were we just had too much debt. 
And according to Mass Mutual study, so do so many of us, that we're using debt as a way to make ourselves feel better, but at the same time, it makes us feel worse. Our, our high of what we've purchased or the experience we've had from what we've spent on our credit cards is not, uh, not overcoming the low we have for the financial uh, consequences of that. So if you have debt, um, we ask that you or encourage you to work on paying that debt off. And one of the biggest things that helped John and I when we were working on paying our debt off was to determine how we could slow down the process of debt accumulation. Number one was stopping using those credit cards. Number two was that we refinanced our debt so that we could get a lower interest rate. And that, so we want to encourage you to check out our uh, our um, one of our partners, Payoff, and use them as a way to lower your interest rates so that you can uh, tackle your debt with more of your money rather than spending more of it on paying for interest. Exactly. Uh, suggestion number three is to live below your means. Uh, it, this is something that took David and I a long time to figure out, and we kind of ebb and flow in our success with this. <laughs> we have we have a we talk about uh, budget creep one, every now and then, and we definitely struggle with that occasionally. But you simply cannot become financially successful by spending more than you earn. Right. No one ever gets rich spending more than they make. Yeah. It's just it's it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like physics, <laughs> and you can't you can't break that rule. Uh, we do talk about how to live below your means on episode 33 of our Queer Money podcast. So check that out. And we also, in that particular podcast, provide some free tools that you can use to help you live, live below your means. I will say this with regard to suggestion two, to avoid credit cards, and suggestion three, to live below your means. We were recently home uh, for our niece's wedding, and she is a, a nanny. Yeah. She married a chef. Neither of them earn an exorbitant amount of money. They have their own apartment and they live on all cash. They refuse to use credit cards and it blows my mind they can do that. Right. They're just starting out, you know, they don't have the, they don't have the nicest apartment right now, but the fact that they were able to do what they've done so far all on cash shows that regardless to me, regardless of for most of us what your income is, we can avoid credit cards and we can certainly live below our means. Right. And one of the things I thought was kind of surprising is that um, here she is, uh, 23 years old, uh, 22 years old, uh, starting her life new and with her new husband. And one of the things that she said, I think it was two or three times uh, that I saw, heard, the, heard her mention this over the week that we were spending with them, that she used various Groupons to get lower rates so or, or low uh, to lower the cost of something. And so that's one of the, the keys to living below your means is to uh, to figure out ways to get what you want at a lower price. doesn't mean you have to sacrifice having a good time. You know, one of the things that John and I have always said is you have to have fun while you're paying your debt off because if you aren't, you'll never stick with the plan to pay your debt off. Just figure out a way to have fun with it either being free or, or at a lower cost. Exactly. You just need to be more conscious and more strategic with how you spend your money, and you can certainly still have a good time. Yeah. And one of the other things I, I like to remind, uh, I have a meme with this on, the, uh, on it, um, and like to remind individuals from time to time, is that if you can't afford the big things in life, you must enjoy the small things. But 
If you enjoy the small things too much, you will never be able to afford the big things in life. So keep that in mind. What Think about what it is that you're spending your money on. You may not be spending your money on big purchases, but are you spending your money on too many small purchases that doesn't allow you to live below your means? Exactly. Suggestion number four is to contribute to your retirement savings account early and often. The sooner you are start contributing to one of these accounts, the easier it is and the better it is for you. Study after study after study shows that the more you save when you're younger, the less you have to save when you're older. And so if you're just starting out your career, it's a little bit, you're not too uh, restricted to the cre uh, cre comfort creatures. <laughs> Is that what they're called? Um, creatures of comfort. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, take advantage of being young and take advantage of, of not necessarily needing all the most perfect and comfortable things in life, but do what you can to save as much as you can in a retirement savings account, and then contribute as much as you can as often as you can um, until you have you reach your retirement goals or until you're ready to retire. And the sooner you start that, the sooner you will be able to retire. Exactly. You know, the the nice thing is that so many of the retirement plan uh, providers today, the websites that they have created, whether it's um, Empower or the Schwab or Fidelity. Uh, um, Mass Mutual, uh, there's so many of them. They have tools on there that can kind of give you an idea of what it, uh, what your retirement, where you are with your retirement savings. Are you on target? And if you don't have one of those accounts already set up, go to massmutual.com forward slash retirement. They have a calculator on their website that allows you to basically take a look at what the amount of contribution you want to make, what that would mean for you, your retirement in the future, based on your age, based on your earnings, uh, and uh, based on how old you would be when you retire. So go go check that out uh, and take a look at what it, what it would take for you to be able to reach your retirement goals. Setting those goals, reaching for them, uh, will, is that, that's the only way you'll get to that. Absolutely. Suggestion number five is one of my favorite. For many reasons, David and I are trying to encourage more LGBT people to become independent business owners, to become independent, to become entrepreneurs, and also to become leaders in industry. And I could go on ad nauseum for all those reasons for that. But with regard to uh, becoming an entrepreneur and becoming um, financially successful, 80% of today's millionaires are first-generation first millionaires, and a plurality of those millionaires are entrepreneurs. So if you, haven't, if you weren't born into money or you didn't marry into money, your best bet to becoming a millionaire yourself is to become an entrepreneur. So we talk about this in many different places ad nauseum. One of the fundamental pieces that we think are necessary today to become an entrepreneur or a way that makes it easier to become one is to start a blog. We yeah. talk about this frequently. Uh, a blog helps you in a number, number of ways, but it also one of the things that it helps you do is sort of create a, a platform for yourself, and it helps you gain an audience or a following. And what that looks like and what your platform does and who it serves might evolve over time, but the sooner you start building that platform, the better. And one of another one of our affiliates uh, that can help you out with starting a, a, a podcast, or I'm sorry, starting a blog, 
at an efficient cost is Bluehost. Right, and we have we have a uh, page that's dedicated to what queer bloggers can do, or individuals who want to become a queer blogger, blogger can do to get that process started. Exactly. We also have another page that outlines verbatim, step by step, what you need to do to start your own blog. In fact, another one of our nieces followed those instructions, and she was that we created, and then she was able to set up her own blog uh, within less than sixty minutes. Right. Now, granted, she's a millennial, so she's a little bit more with it <laughs> with the technology, um, but it should give you an idea of you could probably set up your own blog in a day and get started. And we have a whole bunch of information on our website on how to do that, but. Get started with becoming an entrepreneur. Start having an entrepreneurial spirit, and you'll be surprised at the opportunities that will come your way and how that will turn your financial situation around. Right. And think about the ability to help our community. It, so many of us want things to be better for our community, and we want to make changes, and we want the world to be a better place. And I can't help but think of Tim Cook and him being a leader in industry. I mean, he not only himself is at the top of his game, his company, uh, Apple, is at the top of their game. They are the, the, one of the, they're the technology leader. People are constantly astounded by the massive amounts of money that they can earn. But think about what they are able to do with that money and what Tim Cook has been able to do as a, whether he likes, liked it or not, becoming a leader in the queer community because so many people now can identify a business leader with an LGBT person. And so he's becoming that kind of face for people to say, yes, LGBT people can lead be leaders. They can be leaders in something other than activism or in entertainment. Uh, they can be leaders in business and there are people who respect him as a business leader and now are also respecting him as an LGBT leader. Exactly. We're going to go out on a limb here and uh, promote our own platform. <laughs> Recommendation number six is to listen to Queer Money and to share Queer Money with your friends and family to help them turn their financial situations around. David and I noticed after marriage equality passed in 2015, that by and large there weren't a whole lot of publications, there weren't, there were no financial services firms that were talking about the financial nuances of the LGBT community. They, for all intents and purposes, were acting like we had reached peak equality, and that's simply not the case. I mean, we can still get fired in over 20 in 28 states for simply for being LGBT. That is not equality. We in many states we can still be denied housing without recourse. That is not equality. So there is there are a lot of nuances for our community and that's part of what we want to cover on Queer Money. We also like to talk about talk with inspiring people who are successful in their own way. And that's not just financially successful, but they're people who are living their best lives. People who are have achieved or are living their dream. Because we want to spread the message that Whoever you are, wherever you came from, you too can live your dream. And so we use, uh, sim similar to the Tim Cook analogy, we use these successful people to, to motivate all of our listeners to become and better and to do better. Exactly. And sharing their stories, the thing that I love about sharing these stories of successful individuals is it gives us a, an insight to not that their, their lives are 
uh, amazing and free of worry or free from problems. But what I, the thing I love is that they are the individuals who have overcome those those uh, those challenges. Uh, it, you know, it, the, the individual who is without uh, struggle is an individual who never reaches for anything. If your life is completely easy, then you haven't challenged yourself. And these, the thing I love about these stories is those. If we're listening to individuals who have overcome challenges and are saying, "I, I want a great life, and I'm going to do it, whether or not other people agree or not," and they're going out and doing it. Exactly. These individuals have the same limiting money beliefs or limiting beliefs about ourselves that many of us do, and they were they have been able to overcome those limiting beliefs and still achieve their dreams. We want more in our community to achieve their dreams. So listen to and share Queer Money and um, like and comment on and uh, share our podcast on iTunes. Yeah. And, and again, uh, we want to thank Mass Mutual because they've, they have belief in our community and they have sponsored this podcast because they believe in our community. And at the same time, they recognize that there are so many other companies out there, financial services companies, that are either they don't care or they're too scared to show that they care. And so they're doing it intentionally and they're saying we care enough about our community because we don't see representation of our community in financial services and they want us to be present. If we're not there, if we're not being represented, then we won't participate ourselves. So we won't overcome those financial challenges if companies like Mass Mutual aren't standing up for us. Exactly. So to that point, if you appreciate Mass Mutual sponsoring this podcast, please go to iTunes and give them a uh, on, please go to Queer Money on iTunes and give Mass Mutual a shout out and a thank you for their support of our show. Lastly, and uh, very timely, is number seven. And we recommend. We know that a lot in our community, a lot in the general population, are mired in student loan debt. Um, and that's uh, causing many, many problems um, for many, many people. And so our goal is to help people pay off their student loan debt as quickly as possible. We know so many people who have made great strides in paying off their debt, their student loan debt, so we know that it's possible. Uh, we don't want you to think that, that because of the amount that you have, that it's not possible. So... Our recommendation specifically to help pay off student loan debt is, one, to listen to episode 57 of Queer Money. We hosted William Boyd of the Breaking – he's uh, the host of the Breaking Student Loan Debt podcast, and he's talking about on his podcast, and he shares with us, his journey for paying off all of his student loan debt and some of the tricks and tips that he's figuring out to pay off his debt more quickly. Exactly. And – you may want to think about what is that student debt preventing you from being able to do. And if you want to do something, but you can't because of your student loan debt, not paying it off sooner is going to prevent you from getting what you want even longer. The more quickly you can pay that off, the more you can start to accumulate not only money, but the experiences that you really want in life. Exactly. And then lastly, we'll, we'll repeat a recommendation from earlier with help uh, with regard to paying off credit card debt. Our affiliate payoff can also help 
reduce student loan interest rates and help you pay off those student loan debts much more quickly. So consider using payoff uh, to lower your interest rates and pay off your debt faster. That is all we have for this Queer Money. We hope that we we portrayed to you the risks and concerns that our LGBT community struggles with regarding finances. And we want to thank Mass Mutual for their study that helped highlight that. But we also hope that we provided you with some solid solutions to help address those concerns. And like we said earlier, don't think that you have to do all seven of these steps today. Just start with one and slowly, slowly uh, tick away at them. And you'll be surprised at how quickly things turn around for you. So thank you very much. And we will look forward to you coming back to another episode of Queer Money next week. Thank you. We hope we highlighted on this podcast the risks and concerns of our queer community, but we also hope that we provided you with some solid solutions to help turn those concerns around. We want to thank Mass Mutual for providing us such a great, informative study that gave us insight into our community. We also want to thank Mass Mutual for sponsoring our podcast. Mass Mutual is supporting the LGBT community and queer money. We ask that you consider supporting Mass Mutual. Okay. We just serviced you, now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> would help me if I had a personal chef made all my all healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts, so... <laughs> yeah. uh, From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.